Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Gabe. And we're the, the Ghouls Next Door. We're talking about spooky stuff all the time. Yeah. We're talking about specific spooky stuff. Yeah. Because it's, it's December. It's a yeah. new month. New us. It's spooky and cold and yeah. dark. And, and the sun is only up for like a few hours. Yeah, you leave your house, it's dark. You come home, it's dark. It's sad. <laughs> yeah. So you probably are going to stay at home and snuggle up with yeah, a blankie. Yeah. My blanket has my face on it. And your cat's face. I know, but it's weirder. <laughs> <laughs> you just say it's your face? Yeah. Um, it does, yes. Um, but grab a blanket and then you're like... Hmm, it's really warm and toasty. What do I want to do? Oh, I bet you want to watch a horror movie. Yeah. So you can get real close and comfortable to your friends and your loved ones. That sounds right. So this month we're talking about specifically horror directors. So Uh if you're thinking like, what movie should I watch? What would me and my friends and the people who coexist in this space with me while we're hibernating, what do we want to watch? Um, if you're me at my 13th birthday party. Yeah. Pants Labyrinth. <laughs> yes. Or if you're me on, you know, any, any given night, it's Pans Labyrinth. <laughs> Excellent. I highly <laughs> recommend five stars. Yes. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about Guillermo del Toro. Yep. We've been saying we're gonna, and now we're doing it. (laughs) Yes. I mean, we've sprinkled him in. We've talked about him a little bit here and there. We do enjoy him. Um, I really, really love Guillermo, and so I'm going to fangirl pretty hard. Yeah, that's hard a lot. about it. Yeah, so stay tuned for that, <laughs> and we are definitely going to talk about Pan's Labyrinth and sprinkle in a few others that we enjoy. Because it's great. Yes, it's great. Yeah, so you know how we do here at the ghouls. We, yes. I say words first. Yeah. And then Gabe says words. Yeah. And sometimes we say words simultaneously. <laughs> and, and then you're like, I can't listen to both of you. Yeah, you can't. Um, but I'm going to say words first. And what our friend Roland has coined uh, Cat's History, history corner. corner, which it's not really History Corner. I'm just going to tell you some stuff about Guillermo. It's his history. Yeah, it's his history. His personal history. Yeah. So. I, I mean, everything I read about Guillermo is all about, like, he has this kind of kid-like imagination about how he, in, like, comes up with, like, there's this, like, in like, not innocent is not the right friend, but just, like, this <laughs> yeah. kid imagination, like, endless possibilities. Yeah. Really just, like, creative and out there and, like, something just so unique yeah. that only, like, kids could come up with. Yeah. He has that kind of, like, mentality going into the things that he creates, and especially into his monsters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you think of that, uh, we wrote this article from the LA Times called True to His Frightful Visions, Guillermo del Toro Brings a Mexican Perspective to Horror Films. Um, he started really building this when he was four. So his passion for horror movies began at the age of four, uh, when he made a deal with the monsters that hid under his bed. What? Yeah. Basically, the things that haunted him, he was like, you know, let's be best friends. <laughs> um, 
Um, and <laughs> so it says that he would become their best friend. And if he would let them go to the bathroom in peace. So it was like a equivalent exchange. Yeah. Alchemy style. He was yeah. just like, I'll be your friend if you don't grab my ankle when I get out of bed. Yeah, I just really want to go pee and not be stressed. <laughs> so, you know, he befriended those monsters. Uh, and two years later, he began collecting his first horror genre video. And at eight, which is still so young, mm-hmm. he made his first home movie, which I just find very adorable. And also, it just like, it kind of shows that like he's always been about this. Yeah. About that life. Yeah. He's just like, monsters are real. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think of that line from, uh, is it Crimson Peak? Crimson Peak. Where she's like, I know for certain that like ghosts exist. And yeah. that's like the first thing she says. And yeah. then she says it at the end again. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's kind of, it seems like he's always kind of believed in this idea of the spooky stuff, monsters, the supernatural, mm-hmm. occultism, if you will. Because <laughs> that's what that. that was said. A little that's, fairy tale, a little... Our last Gothic episode lit. was about that. Yes, so. indeed. Supernatural stuff. Um, and when he, he made his first movie, like feature, is that what a movie is? Yeah. Okay, it's cool. Feature film, yeah. Yeah, uh, when he was 28, so. So there's hope for me yet. Yes. <laughs> I know. And like Creative Little Game, when she was little, making all those zombie movies. I made a lot of really cringy movies. Yeah. No, you cannot look them up. Gabe makes zombie films. Guillermo. Made really great films. So yeah. Gabe still has time. Yeah. And I still have time yes. for us to reach our creative glory. It's never too late. Yeah. Listener, if you're going to take one thing from the ghouls, it's that. Follow your dreams. Don't you let your dreams be dreams. Remember we had a dream episode? Yeah. Don't let them be dreams. Make them real. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, the things that scare you, befriend those things. And maybe, like, y'all can just live in peace. Yeah. Guillermo said. <laughs> so uh so i mean the uniqueness of him is what really stood out for me and that like i don't think i've ever seen anything like what he's created and yeah. you know you think of like specifically the monsters that he's created it's just so unique and all the articles i read were just like there's like this like from the lens of a child like wonder to it and like things that you wouldn't even think to do garam was like nah we're gonna put a stinger inside of that egg or something I yeah don't know. it was in one of the articles <laughs> yeah yeah the yeah. the the but like bug it was in Kronos, Kronos. Sort of. yeah. yeah and that's like let's take vampires and make them really interesting and weird yeah and it's like <laughs> such a overdone topic that you know people generally aren't you know talking about as much or like they're doing it the same way yeah there's like <laughs> vamps it's cool and everyone's like no you didn't even think of this yeah. I'm genius. <laughs> but yeah, so as we, as I said, you know, a lot of it came from when he was a kid. And what was really cool is that, you know, he has such a unique perspective, both because of his like upbringing in Mexico. And then also he apparently learned movie makeup from the legendary, legendary film makeup artist Dick Smith hmm. and spent much of the 1980s working as like a special effects makeup artist. So he actually uh, co-founded a special effects company called Necro- Necropia. Necropia? Necropia? Necropia. That's how I say words. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's like multi-talented. He has like this really interesting background. And it just seems like it all ties back to the idea of monsters. 
and like the uniqueness and like humanness, I guess, of his mom. Like, you know, he's really creating something unique. Um, yeah, he's a he's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Well, that's cool. Um, kind of game has a lot of words. That's why I'm only saying a little. So she's <laughs> to gonna say a lot more, and room. then I'll say words probably like in response, in, in reaction to what I'm about to say. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, first I just wanted to say that I absolutely love and appreciate Guillermo on like so many levels, which is what I'm why I'm gonna fangirl uh-huh. and why it took so long to get to this episode because I was like, we can't just put him in as just like yeah. a half. Like it can't be a topic that's other than himself. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, got to get a whole thing. Yeah, because and even like when I was thinking we were gonna do foreign horror, and I was like, we could do, you know, Mexican horror, but really it would have been mostly him, and even still, he does do some Mexican horror in there, and he has some, you know. Um, references to his life growing up in Mexico and he's very proud of that too but he mm-hmm. also talks a lot about the Spanish Civil Wars mm-hmm. um the Civil War and in that kind of history so I feel like it was just unjust <laughs> to just plug him into uh, a Mexican foreign horror episode when it really he I just needs really just episode. wanted to talk about him because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's his own genre he's he, he he doesn't exist um to be you know affected by any other things and yeah. he's very like unapologetic That's about what I'm it. saying he's a trendsetter <laughs> yes. He's out here with his unique self. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, uh, one of the things I really love about him is his monster creation. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really unique is, is not just the fact that, like, he creates these really like viscerally s- realistic monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Like we see them and we believe them. Yeah. Like they're not like they're. There's no CGI. <laughs> There's yeah. no weird. It's like these are practical effects. These are things that like I can see myself running into in a dark alley and being like, oh. Mm-hmm. But there's this whole other part to his monster creations that I really, that really resonates with me as someone who loves literature, film, and is just like a big geek about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that these monsters are people? Yeah. Just like, it, like good and bad people. Yeah. Like some of them you feel compassion for, which is why it's so amazing that he did Hellboy. <laughs> Cause uh-huh. like, like who was going to really bring that character in the genuineness of this guy who is the son <laughs> of the devil who has got mm-hmm. horns on his head, but loves kittens. Like yeah. you can't get any more Guillermo than that. Yeah, and like, you just feel so much connection to, to creatures like that. Or even like his, his, his creature in shape of water, which we talked a lot about in our loving monsters episode mm-hmm. and how it, it was his kind of twist on Beauty and the Beast, right? Is yeah. that, you know, uh, there's a quote that I read somewhere that said, where he said um, that the thing he didn't like about Beauty and the Beast is that the Beast changes at the end. Yeah. Because in reality, like, Belle fell in love with the Beast, yeah. not with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so why does he have to change at the end? It's kind of like at, with Shrek. <laughs> spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen <laughs> Shrek. But she turns, she's a doger and she turns into the ogre at the end. And it was like, which is kind of like the opposite, which is like she should have still been herself, right? Yeah. Um, but it was kind of that thing of like he didn't change, right? Yeah. So they kind of like met him halfway <laughs> to where he thought it should be. Well, yeah. And the whole thing is like she wasn't loving herself as an ogre. Yeah. So like he was showing her that like you don't got to look however society wants you yeah. can be beautiful and who you are yeah but she was a person first so <laughs> i like i get i get the confusion there <laughs> yeah but it, even so like when he has like a protagonist or a, a positive role model that is a 
a monster, you definitely feel for that. And mm-hmm. then his monster, like his actual monsters that are to be feared are also very human and are evil in a way that we can really understand. Like they're yeah. not just like, that's just bad. You know, oh, we're sure it's like, oh, something ha- like that exists and it's so believably evil. And I fear it because it seems so real. Yeah. And I think that's really amazing. Um, I'm going to say that a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, I also think like Pan's Labyrinth, you think to what's the guy called? Uh, the fawn? The fawn, yeah. Yes. Like, objectively, I'd be like, that guy is scary. But he he's not the scariest scary. part of the film. Oh, it's no. that like hitler guy <laughs> yes. he's not hitler i know but like you know like the guy that's like real awful yes running around being a bad guy and he's just a human guy yeah and that's so that's I like the, that was cool too. the quintessential kind of takeaway from uh-huh. that film is that um vidal i believe is what his name is uh is the real villain in it it's not it's not the fawn. He's scary. But it is even the pale man or the toad. Those yeah, are not the villains. They just represent other They're even stuff. that scary in comparison. <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, pale man from... is kind of scary. Yes. He's out here with his hands. In his chasing eyes. Chasing you in the stomach. <laughs> he eats the fairies. It was bad. Yeah. Um, the, oh, the, the Beauty and the Beast quote is actually from um, an interview on Visitations, a podcast by Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah. Cool. So Give him some credit there. Um, I also really, really love and when I when I got a hold of Pan's Labyrinth as a young person, I would watch like the behind the scenes and the yeah. making of because I get like really nerdy about that stuff before I even knew that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I just am fascinated. Um, but I really love his like in inventive filming techniques uh-huh. and the way that he uses practical effects and like will manipulate the physical world that we have uh-huh. to create things on screen versus just like drawing something up in a computer which is fine because we have the technology so it doesn't look cheesy but there's yeah. just something about like getting that inventive <laughs> like, yeah it's like the, to me it feels like this really good mesh between the left and right side of the brain because you have mm-hmm. all this creativity but you also have all this practicality yeah and i remember seeing like a, a documentary or not a documentary but like a behind the scenes of peter jackson when he was making lord of the rings and yeah. how they would like put gandalf closer to the screen and then the would manipulate the way that it was seen so that the hobbits look smaller, but that's just because they were farther away. Yeah. Like the wagon they're in, they're not sitting next to each other. <laughs> they're yeah. actually like far away. And I was like, that is so cool. Like I want to be an it's architect just, just so I can, <laughs> I can like make contraptions and stuff so I can make these cool things. And he does that. Um, there's like a really, there was a, an article that I was reading um, about his work on um, specifically the shape of water, which is uh-huh. beautiful. Right? Um, and so there's this, this article that goes into detail on IndieWire that explains something um, about like one of the shocks that he did. Uh-huh. So it says a perfect example of this was the opening shot of the shape of water in which the camera floats through Elise's apartment, which is completely underwater. Del Toro used an old film technique known as the dry for wet in which no water is actually used. All set dressing and actors would be suspended using wire as if floating in water. And the room was filled with vapor atmosphere and caustic lighting while large fans combined with slow motion cinematography simulated the feel of objects moving in water. That's wild. <laughs> and then they just put like C- CG water in there, right? Yeah. But everyone is doing that. Like you were acting out as if you were in that space. Yeah. And like 
to 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 manipulate technology and like the human eye <laughs> to believe that yeah. is just phenomenal. <laughs> so, well, it's like what we was he's just unique and talented and wonderful. <laughs> yes. Um another uh thing that we kind of touched on is um what we said about Pan's Labyrinth, right? Uh-huh. Is that the real villain is Vidal. Yeah. And I am like a sucker for imagery uh-huh. and for just like uh things being kind of right in your face but uh-huh. you on first glance you're just kind of like what a nice like not nice it was a very tra- <laughs> traumatic film but you were like wow okay a film uh and then later you're looking and you're like wait a second like every time i watch i'd be like wait i think that's this and now i'm yeah. older so i have these like different eyes <laughs> it's always so interesting to watch a film that you saw as a kid and be yeah. like whoa <laughs> i was an idiot i didn't know what things were so what is the monster from that other film we watched it was like the canker man oh yeah yeah the Aww. kid lens versus adult lens yeah exactly um so what i thought was cool one is um you know the the pale man who yeah scary right which i will touch on a little bit in the film section because yeah. i think that's important mean stuff yes um but but Vidal is so, so it, we'll talk about Pan's Labyrinth, um, in the film section, but it, it does feature, uh, it's during the Spanish Civil War uh-huh. and the evil stepfather, cause he does a lot of, um, like fairy tale, yeah. <laughs> like, in, like imagery. Uh, the evil stepfather is essentially like a fascist leader. Yeah. Um, and so we have him who's a real life actual like evil person Uh who is the villain and then we also have all these fantastical elements where we're kind of um shown two other villains Uh that are just honestly him they're extensions of what he's done yeah and so it's so like when you're like looking at it as a kid you're like whoa my gosh this is so scary and like those things are really terrifying yeah and this is so real to like what like you know uh a fairy tale really is like when you even grim's fairy grim fairy tales are like they pale in comparison yeah (laughs) to what this film does in a little in certain ways right it was very gruesome in a lot of places too that like you weren't necessarily expecting that because it's from the eyes of a child and you're like oh this is a kid's film (laughs) no No, it's not (laughs) yeah and i think that's something that people forget about like fairy tales and those and tales of like morals was originally they weren't like hunky-dory tales where the princess gets the prince at the end. It was the German guy traumatic. who eats your thumbs if yeah. you suck on them. <laughs> yes, there's, you know, the, the the evil stepsisters who are cutting off pieces of their feet to fit in there and then getting their eyes picked out by crows. Like, there's Ariel who's getting turned into seafoam because love isn't real. Like, I don't know what else. <laughs> like, it it is so intense. And I remember reading Grim Fairy Tales to, like, my younger sister and being yeah. like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh, but people <laughs> often, like, like forget that the origin of those were really scary because they were to teach a lesson and those lessons were usually very harsh. So Guillermo pulls no punches (laughs) when he tells these stories. And so in this we have, um, so we have our protagonist and she's kind of experiencing these fantastical elements um, who, who are representing the, the real world terrors that Captain Vidal is doing. Yeah. So what the pale man is, we have this juxtaposition of him 
um, Captain Val, and then the pale man who is this creature that sits at the end of this banquet style table yeah. that's full of food that he will never eat. And he just sits there. But the second someone tries to eat something or does eat something, then he comes after you and yeah. he will eat you. Yeah. Um, and so it's just like that paralleled with <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth where we exist in a time where he has rations and he's not giving anyone food, yet his table is full and he has like the wealthy with him yeah. and he barely eats himself. Yeah. So it's just like he can have whatever he wants. <laughs> and he's scary. He, yes. So uh, that's like a direct correlation. But there's also the toad. So there's a scene where um, she goes in and I'm totally blinking on her name right now. Do you remember her name? Ophelia. Ophelia, thank you. <laughs> she uh, goes into this tree that is kind of falling apart and crumbling and looks incredibly like <laughs> the female anatomy here. Yep. Uh, we have like our fallopian tubes and they look like they're dying. And the story goes, what Ophelia is told from the storybook, is that this toad has come in and take taken over this, this tree yeah. and is gorging itself of everything in there and it has become greedy and has taken up. And so she has to go in there and trick it and poison it and then it will go and then the, the tree can thrive. Yeah. It's literally her mom is pregnant <laughs> and, and is literally like with the seed of, of this, this bad guy. <laughs> like this poisonous frog that's like sucking the life out of her because the kid is kind of killing her from the inside. Yeah. And like she has to like go in there and, and protect her mom. Yeah. And so, it, and, and it's kind of parallel to when her, her mom, um, spoilers, gets like sick because uh -huh. of the baby. And we see on the book, the fallopian tubes show up again in yeah. the uterus and it's red. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that the first time yeah. I ever <laughs> watched it. Um, but this is something that like Del Toro like mentions um, in the DVD commentary when you're watching it. Um yeah, and it, of course it, you've watched the DVD commentary. <laughs> I told you it's um, it's very real. I am very obsessed with these things. Um, another thing that I found was um, uh, someone had quoted that uh, the tree was once a shelter for the magical creatures of the forest, as Ophelia's mother once was shelter for her. Yeah. Because now that she's here, she can't be with her mom. Her mom's like closed off. Yeah. Because she's sick and no one can talk to her. And that's her one person. Yeah. And she's in this place that's unfamiliar and just mm -hmm. like. And she's got the harsh. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I love about him and my million reasons is uh, he's a big literature nerd. Like yeah. myself. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my God, we are the same person or we're best friends or in love. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he's very influenced by Charles Dickens and even my boo, Lovecraft. He has an appreciation for Lovecraft. We mentioned it. I don't he's know. He's your boo? In a way. I'd say his writing is my boo. He is not my boo. He's a racist. Well. Not Guillermo. No, I know what you're saying. Also. Lovecraft. He bad. was. He was just a, he was just wrong, <laughs> like even to well, himself, yes. even, even the way, like he didn't know what he was thinking, <laughs> but his writing is my boo. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's the same with him. Like he is like, without Lovecraft, like horror would have taken a different shape. Yes. Like he has an affinity for monsters the way that Guillermo has an affinity for monsters. Yes. Um, it's just lucky that Guillermo's awesome. So yeah. I don't have to be ashamed for liking what he does. Yeah. Um, also, we mentioned briefly in our Lovecraft episode all those those long time ago. Yes. Uh, that Guillermo has been in the making of Mountains of Madness, 
the Lovecraftian story as a film. It's just like a labor of love and it's taken a, very <laughs> it's, long time. It's taken a long time and it keeps, I, I wait with bated breath. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a scene in um, Pan's Labyrinth when Ophelia arrives at Captain Vidal's house and she goes to shake his hand and he gruffly tells her it's the other hand. Uh-huh. Well, that's a almost near quotation from Charles Dickinson's David Copperfield when the young lad of the title meets his mother's soon-to-be husband. Uh, Davy's stepfather turns out to be a cruel man, too, just like Captain Vidal. So it was like a little, you know this guy's going to suck. Yeah. A little nod. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, remember Charles Dickinson? Uh, and that little tidbit is from Mental Floss. There's okay. like a little article. It was like, 14 fantastical facts about Pan's Labyrinth. And I was like, ah, I did not know that. I love it. Um, <laughs> but Guillermo has said this about Lovecraft. He says, Lovecraft is so important to the history of the horror genre he created a universe of old gods and cosmic monsters and mutants he's incredibly influential and i'd be a very different filmmaker without him yeah just like i said i'm, I'm picking up what you put down i'm just saying this bad guy too <laughs> um it and sucks when people who do a lot of stuff are problematic but it yeah, happens a lot tell me it's the whole time uh, <laughs> uh another thing that's fun is that guillermo doesn't like horses so we also oh, have that in common i'm allergic to those it's not that i don't like, I respect them yeah. so much that I am terrified of them. Like, they're just sense. so much. They're so big. And it's like, oh, how arrogant are we as just puny humans to be like, I'm going to beat that thing down so I can ride it around and just tell it what to do. Like, that's a monster. And you're like, let me just get on top of you. So fearless people. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Don't say that. My own... My own... <laughs> Friend loves okay, horse trainer. My sister loves horses, and she gets on them, and she does it. And she's also a large person; like she's very tall. She could do whatever she wants, I guess. But I'm as as a small person, just respect them so much that I'm not gonna. It scares me. But he hates them. Uh, <laughs> he hates them. Yeah, he's been quoted as saying they are absolutely na nasty mother effers on a DVD commentary. What? Um, I met so many nice horses. <laughs> All right, go ahead. And after Pan's Labyrinth, um, and he had to work with horses that were essentially ill-tempered and difficult, he says it only intensified his feelings. And so I never liked horses, he says. But after this, I hate them. That's another one of the oh, 14 no. facts, just for everyone. Um, but Horses I think... are nice. They <laughs> just want to, like, run around. Yeah. No, I... Yeah. Be nice. I think he, it's the same thing. They don't want to be like, those, like, we don't want to have to deal with them. Like, they we want... They be should just movies. be out. They want to go be free. Yeah, they should just be doing... We don't need another war horse. They just want love. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the last thing I just want to touch on, so I don't take everyone's time forever is his own like adamant use of his of his history and heritage that he's yeah. just like unabashed and like unapologetic about being like no we have a place here i am mexican we're important like i'm gonna tell these stories i'm gonna be very blunt <laughs> like i'm yeah. not gonna hold back and he's very proud and that's something that like we we've talked about our representation series right mm -hmm. there's not a lot of representation out there especially in the horror genre for someone to be as impactful as Guillermo for as long as he's been, it's like, he really, really is doing it, you know? Yeah. And, and for him to have always been like, he got his start with Kronos being like, this is about Mexican. <laughs> like, like we have vampires. Yeah. But this is about like my Mexican heritage, right? There's Catholicism that's questionable in there, which he also has like 
trends to kind of pick at throughout his history. Uh Um, But he even talks about, like, in this one interview um, that he used to go to, I believe he called them brick theaters. Uh And it was that they were these kind of, like, holes in the wall, (laughs) like, theaters. And they would give you a brick to smash rats because of, like... This oh. how <laughs> because of the shape that they were in these yeah. theaters, right? But that's like his humble beginnings of like I love media this much and I do this and I'm gonna bring that into yeah. what I make. And so I feel like he even today, he's still popular, right? He's still making stuff. They all still matter. Yeah. Um even like flops like Crimson Peak are still getting real like a lot of love. They still become cult classics. And he uh he still uses his his power and influence to impact and criticize like our current society, which is yeah. incredibly racist. Um, and he, when he got his well deserved Hollywood star, he mm-hmm. said this: "Right now we are in a moment of great fear. It's used to tell us that we're all different, that we shouldn't trust each other, and these lies make us easier to control and easier to hate each other. But what brings us together is realizing those fears are complete fantasies." So befriend your monsters. Yeah. It was the thing I said at the very beginning. Yeah. And also, like, use that as a tool. Where you, like, tell those stories. Don't be afraid to tell those stories. Don't be afraid to speak out. Yeah. Because they are just fantasies. Don't make things you think people are going to like. Make things that are you and Mm -hmm. that is art. Yeah. Yeah. And he does, a lot of the times, tell stories of monsters. And he does tell things from the lens of, like, a child. Uh And that he feels like the kaiju and, like those big monsters in the stories of them were always this, and I'm butchering this quote because I don't have it written down in front of me, but he essentially was saying that when you have a story of like those big monsters, uh-huh. it's like putting the adults down a peg. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, now they don't know what to do. There's something bigger than them. It's wilder than they could imagine. And the kids get it in, yeah. a, in an entirely different way than adults ever would. So he feels like it levels the playing field. And so he really loves to create monsters because it it kind of gives him an upper hand and it, it allows him to be fantastical in a way that only yeah. children really can. Except he's out here doing it. He yeah, with he's... adults <laughs> situations yeah. and like murder and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I love him. <laughs> he yeah, never, he's great. never holds his punches. He tells spooky stories. He has a good love for fairy tales and the grimness of the world and he tells it beautifully i like how he's just always saying something and he like doesn't back down from that yeah he's just here he's saying it even when he's having fun like when we did scary stories to tell in the dark like that was a fun film it was very goofy it was not what anyone was expecting of him right yeah but then he has his his vanna character in there and he doesn't hold back He's like, r- racism is real, friends. And yeah. I'm being very over about the racism that's happening now and yeah. paralleling it. And I just sprinkled it into your kid's fun video that you're going to go yeah, watch. And you're going <laughs> to feel really upset about it while you're watching and root for this Hispanic kid. And you're yeah. going to want him to do good. And then you're going to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be racist to immigrants. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, wow. I just felt so many emotions. Yeah. Look and it's that. like, how can he, you know, tell a story where he himself is an immigrant and not give, you yeah. know, that light to it? Yeah. He does. He's always out here. He's always saying something. Even his, like, animated series. He's always yeah. saying something. And it's it's phenomenal. I'm very excited to see what he makes in the future. Because love him. And if Guillermo, if you're listening, if you somehow stumbled on this, I hope we got this all right. And also, I love you. Let's become best friends. Yeah, you're great. Okay. <laughs> Yeah.
we said we watched some things. We did, we did. We watched Pan's Labyrinth, which is from 2006, uh-huh. which is a lot more recent than I thought. Yeah. But I get so I'm guessing, yeah, I got it right when it was there. Right when it was available, I had it. Because I it might have been 16 when I showed it at my birthday party. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to like do math, and I was like, that seems too young. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But it's Pan's Labyrinth or El Labertino del Fauna. And it's important that it, Pan has nothing to do with this. The Fawn's name is not Pan. It's just that for American audiences. It's just yeah. supposed to be the Fawn's Labyrinth. Oh. <laughs> well. but, but Americans are like, what's that? So he had to put that. Um, but... Yeah, so here's what it's about. In the fallingest Spain of 1944, the bookish young stepdaughter of a sadistic army officer escapes into an eerie but captivating fantasy world. Yeah. yeah. Um, fun fact about this that I found, I think, on that 14 uh, fun facts about Pan's Labyrinth is that the fawn is actually inspired by these dreams that Guillermo had when he was growing up of a fawn that would visit him. And that's one of the ones that he would, like, make a deal with. Kind of. Well, his original idea for Pan's Labyrinth was that it was the mom, the pregnant woman, who who falls in love with the fawn and then sacrifices her infant, hoping that that would lead to them living together happily ever after. Uh So it was a lot darker and a lot sadder. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Although this is very sad. There's some really interesting things. Don't sacrifice babies. Don't do it. So spoilers. I was very upset at the end of this movie. Well, she didn't sacrifice the baby. I understand. I'm just saying. But but the 11-year-old spoilers died. (laughs) And it was a, but did she really die? I've, she's alive in the underworld now. I mean, she's a princess. Her I mom's mean, alive and happy, and the baby's. That's here. what the movie says. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like I teased in the facts section, he Guillermo says this about the pale man. He tweeted, he said, "The pale man represents all institutional evil feeding on the helpless. It's not accidental that he is a pale, b a man, and he's thriving now." And this was in yep. reaction to. The turmoil that we have currently in our country. Yeah. He was like, listen, (laughs) we got a lot of pale men out there who look an awful lot like this pale man with their, like, gross chin stuff, looking all, like, (laughs) gross in Congress, uh, ruling over things, and greedy. Like, we have this greedy upper class that is, you know, siphoning all and not giving it to anyone. You don't need it. Literally just saying, like, people don't deserve a living wage. Yeah. Like Bezos I'm, deserves more money than he's ever going to be able to do anything with, but we can't have a minimum wage that's livable to pay your rent. No, nope. that's what they're saying. <laughs> so Guillermo doesn't hold back, like I said. Um, the, the pale man, so he is this other symbol of Vidal's nature and that he, you know, like I said before, he's like hoarding all these things and not sharing it. Um yeah. It's also like this weird, like in any other <clears throat> traditional, like sense, it would seem like he's like also like a sexual creature that would be really scary. But because there's children involved, that's not the case. And also Vidal is not a sexual person. Yeah. Like he very much was like, this woman is a tool to give me a son. I don't even care about that stuff. Yeah. I if just I want power. Save the boy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, how do you know he's a boy? And he was like, don't F with me. Yeah. And it was like, that's it. That's his only response. But it's such a just ending, so 
what we have is this girl, Ophelia, um, if you have not seen this film, who has a great imagination. She writes stories. She tells these beautiful like, tales. Yeah, tales to the baby in the belly. Yeah, and to her mom, even though they, they were also very <laughs> dramatic stories um, about people going after things and losing sight of the hope in midst of thorns. Yeah. That they stop talking about, like, the what could happen, right? Yeah. Like, they stop fighting for what could happen out of fear of what is happening. Yeah. Essentially, which is literally <laughs> what's happening around yeah. her is that we have people, like, there's a rebellion happening, right? But there's so many people who aren't a part of the rebellion because, like, then they're not going to have food or they're going to get their face smashed in. What's going to happen? Yeah. Um. So we have this young girl and her mom, her father died and her mom's now remarried to this evil guy. She's very pregnant. She's incredibly pregnant. Yeah. And very sick and should not have been moved to where she is. Yeah. Um, they have one doctor that's taking care of her and he is one of the rebel spies and ends up dying <laughs> right before she's going to give birth, which was a hundred percent the reason why she didn't make it. Yeah. Um, but we also have Ophelia who encounters um, this bug that looks like a leaf tree bug. Yeah. One of those stick bugs. I know what you're saying. And uh, it turns out it's a fairy, which I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was. I looked at that and I was like, that's not, no, no. <laughs> I'm not talking was like, that. It's a fairy. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> well, it took the form for her. I run so from she that could bug. Remember. I would love it. Um, but she immediately is like identifies this creature as a fairy because that's a, like what her imagination is and that's what yeah. her soul is and she is fed this tale by the fawn in the middle of the labyrinth that she is a princess and she is up here reincarnated and she's got to complete some tasks and then she can get back to the underworld to where her dad is her real dad the good dad yeah who is presumably the one that died yeah and uh yeah so she does the tasks or tries to she yeah. does the toad thing um meanwhile in the background there's rebel stuff happening there's a really gruesome scene that i think is the most horrific of all of it where vidal bashes this man's head in with a bottle yep that was really upsetting for multiple reasons <laughs> yes um, um yeah specifically i get really messed up when people die but it seems like not for any good reason yeah like there's no good reason to kill somebody but like, that one was really messy. I was just like, they were just there. Yeah. It makes me never want to go outside. Because that happens all the time in the real world. Mm -hmm. For no good reason. It's yeah. all the time. But you you have, live, We live in Philly. It's all the time. You want to have some fun? Mess me up. That's not fun at all? Yeah. Is that that's kind of based on a true story. Oh, so, of course it is. Because <laughs> it happens all the time. But also, what's the true story? Del Toro and a friend were once in a fight. And his friend was beaten in the face with a bottle. And he is quoted as saying that the detail that really stuck in his mind after that account is that the bottle didn't break. Yeah. It, like, stayed as he was just, like, it, it, that really just, like, jarred him. And so that scene is, is based also die? on a, I don't know, it doesn't say in the things I was looking. Okay. Um, but that scene is also based on a real occurrence in Spain when a fascist smashed a citizen's face with the butt of a pistol and took his groceries, all because the man didn't take off his hat. In this case, it's because they think they're spies, and he's like, no, I was getting rabbits, and then later he finds a rabbit in the bag. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that was just, like, such a... I think it's such a, a, a genius way to be like, 
yep, this is the bad guy. Like, if you yeah. were, you had any doubts, you're like, oh, he's just a mean guy. He's, he's not nice to the girl. redeemable qualities. There's not. And then he did that. And it's so long. It's a very long scene because usually he is doing, like, the rest of the gruesome things kind of happen in the background. Yeah. Like, he tortures people, but we only see what happened, like, what is the result yeah. Um, that's the only one where we're really seeing the damage happen. And yeah, it, it was, was so severe. And it really set the tone where you were like, this is not for children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was sad. The whole thing was sad. Yeah. But I, I get it. And I really enjoyed watching it because mm-hmm. it's like I've seen it a few times now. And, yeah. But oh, my yeah. heart. He also has some, um, he really has a, he really dislikes the Catholic Church for a lot of reasons and honestly probably good um and he what he really hated was the catholic church's um complicity with fascism during the spanish civil war uh-huh. which is why he has like a, a priest at the dinner at one of the scenes where he's at the dinner and the priest is quoted as saying um god has already saved their souls what happens to their bodies well it hardly matters to him and uh that's like in regards to like these dead rebels that they just like killed and apparently that was taken from a real speech that a priest used to give to rebel prisoners in the fascist camps that's great yeah (laughs) um also i mean that does not shock me from everything i've learned about uh specifically catholicism yeah over the years (laughs) yeah they just fit whatever's there um but guillermo has also been quoted as saying that the pale man is also the church yeah. to him and that he represents fascism in the church eating the children when they have a perversely abundant banquet in front of them yeah so yeah again he doesn't all his punches uh yeah it was there's also the soundtrack which is yeah. beautiful that the the lullaby so ophelia's lullaby is like one of my favorite songs in the history of the world yeah um i would listen to that to go to sleep yeah. <laughs> I, I just i'm not gonna pretend that i didn't really truly love this film um and it, it, it fits so perfectly yeah. in it. And I think that's great. And he every one of his films are so distinctly his, but also very different. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he just really makes things on purpose. Yeah. Like if you could describe him in any way, it's just like every second of that film yeah. was done with purpose. Even like the color schemes, like this is all very blue and like everything is kind of washed out, mm-hmm. right? And dull. And like solemn. And then if you have something like Shape of Water, it's very green and there's some bright aspects to it that there's like some dull aspects to it, but there's also some brightness. And then you have Crimson Peak, which is just like almost like there's no color but red. Yeah. And it's like so severe that it it's kind of shocking. Yeah. So, yeah, man, every single thing is well thought out. Like nothing is just circumstantial or by accident yeah. when you watch it del toro but we watched another thing we did we watched crimson peak from 2015 so in the aftermath of a family tragedy an aspiring author is torn between love of her childhood friend and the temptation of a mysterious outsider trying to escape the ghosts of her past she is swept away to a house that breathes bleeds and remembers i just want to say that the description for this film is way more interesting than the film itself I thought it was good. I thought it was fine, but it's not that. I would have, that, I would read that book. Maybe. Does a book exist? No. But oh. Like, if that, if that was on the back of a book, I'd be like, yeah. And that's what I thought. And then the movie kind of let me down. I love Guillermo, and I thought there was really good bits, bits of it. Yeah. Um, but it kind of dragged. Well, spoilers, but 
I had like vivid dreams where I was, I don't remember her name, but the blonde lady, uh-huh. I was her and the, the sister was chasing me. Oh. And I was like picturing all the ways that I would fight back. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I like hid in the red clay. Yeah. And snuck up and got her. That's cool. Or I like, like, and then like I got to her before she pulled out the big knife. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I like, envisioned the all the knife. different things that I could do. Yeah. If in that situation where my impending doom is near. Yeah. <laughs> so we have in this movie, um, our protagonist, and I'm blanking on her first name, but her last name is Cushing because I remember it because it sounds like Cushing. Like my last name. name. Um, and she's a writer and she's very, like, she loves Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. She even, like, they said, like, I forget what they call her, but one of the sad women writers who died alone yeah uh and she's like no i'd rather be mary shelley who died a widow it was austin austin yeah. one of them either one any of them there's a lot of them did it at yeah. that time but she yeah so she said she wanted to be mary and also <laughs> mary had some good times just some really dark times we've talked about it yeah uh but if you're gonna have a you know a goal during that time like yeah. an idol might as well be mary uh and so she's kind of like spunky and no, no, the girls like her. She's untraditional. She's got uh-huh. a loving Papa. He's such yeah, a good the Papa. Dad's such a good dad. And then we got Tom Hiddleston, right? Yes. It was Loki. Loki. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, who uh, comes in and he's all charm. He's British. So yeah. she's like, what? She's American. She's like, what's this? And he's looking at me. He's giving her attention, even though she does have this best friend who, like, I was so upset because I was like, there's no reason why she wouldn't like him. Yeah, he even likes the stuff she likes. He's like, look at these ghosts in pictures. Yeah, he, like, went out of his way to gather things that she would like for her. Yeah. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? Um, well, no, the problem was, I guess, like, he was wait- he was twiddling his thumbs and not proposing. Well, he wanted to give her her space. I know. I'm just saying. He was respecting that she's not the type of girl who wants to go out to places. Yeah. And that she wanted to write her book and she wanted it to be her own. So he was like, yeah. Like, he was being, like, if... if, if I just mean more so he didn't, like, make a move. Yeah. Very true. I'm saying. He wasn't very, you know, blunt about it. Yeah. He was very friendly, which could be misread. So when this guy comes around and he's all like wooing her, uh, she immediately falls in love, like instantly. Yeah. And he was very charming and very nice. And and honestly, Ed, there was never a time where I didn't feel like he was genuine. Even yeah. when they were very clearly showing them to be like sketchy. Yeah. I was like, I still feel like he's not really on board with the sketchy. Like, yeah, like every he time seems... they're like, are you sure that she's the one? And he's like, yeah, 100%. And she's like, ugh. I have to take care of all this business. Because usually, so the whole thing is that we have this brother and sister. The sister is the actual villain, which is refreshing. Yeah. Because this really felt to me, like, I didn't even send it to you. I was like, this is like a fairy tale. This is like Bluebeard. Yeah. And he has all his wives are hidden and the girl has to find out. And it's like that, except it's not Bluebeard, it's Red. And it's the sister the whole time. Yeah. And so... Every other one that they had didn't have family. Yeah. Didn't have people who cared about them in that way. Yeah. She's the only one who had people who really, really loved her. And so it was like, he was like, he from the get go was like, I think I love this girl. Yeah. (laughs) And he genuinely appreciated her. Um, And had the chance. And he was trying to break the mold and, and, and not have to do what she wanted, the sister, and he tried to do his little experiments in tech, like... Yeah, he was trying to, like, fix it, essentially. And it was, like, at the same time, like, she was older, so, like, there's a lot of questions that I had where I was, like, 
Why is he in this relationship with her? Why, like, when did that start? Yeah. And then also, was he just, like, molested as a kid? Absolutely. And then transitioned into that because he was stuck with her. Yeah. She definitely and, conditioned him. Yeah. Because she said, like, he was beautiful when he was young. Like, she yeah. clearly had, in, like, she was messed up from yeah. the beginning and had a connection to him that she it was very unnatural and no one checked her because they yeah. lived in like rich people house yeah and so they just left them alone in the attic all the time yeah so of course she like she ended up abusing him and so of course he is like complicit in all her actions because he doesn't know any better like yeah. he is under this illusion and, and they don't been, have any other family so he's like this is my family they live in a broken house that snows inside yeah. So <laughs> I was like, this is a nightmare in all so many ways. Um, it is aesthetically beautiful. It's very gothic, which was fun. I yeah. will say, I, until today when we were about to do this episode and I was like researching Crimson Peak to see if I missed anything. And it was like, blah, 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 blah Jessica Chastain. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> Everyone stop. <laughs> Jessica Chastain. I like, honest to God, did not recognize her with the jet black hair. Yeah. And like her performance, like her face, like she's got a very, her face is her face. But I, honest to God, it was just like different lady, gothic she lady. She did a really good job. Like playing that part yeah, too she did like, she did so the one scene that really hit me was uh the murder scene at the end where he tells her that he's in love with the blonde lady oh, yeah and like her reaction was very raw very and like real. like abandoned yeah. like immediately he and then like also dropped her yeah and then like also like seeing after she realized what she just did yeah that was a really mm -hmm. great performance yeah. so it's all the crap we talked on her for it, 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 it. she ha she, she did has a good job in this abilities. movie yeah she is she did a really good so job maybe it's the writing yeah. Yeah, I definitely. And I mean Jessica Chastain has been recommended as a as a good actress. And maybe she just got she just I don't think she should have done that movie. But and I, and I've said that this whole time. I yeah. think it should have been a different cast altogether. Although Bill Hader did great, but he's kind of what I was looking for. Yeah. Anyway, tangent over. Yeah, she did it. She did a really good job. Yeah. I think Tom Hiddleston did a really good job. He was very cute, but also soft. Yeah. Like I really did feel for him. I felt like he was very young. He, he was really expressive with his eyes. Yeah. That was what really sold a lot of them. Like, yeah. you could tell that one, he, like, he gave love eyes. Yeah. Like, you could see it. Like, I was like, it was, <laughs> So, like, Tyra always talks about your expressing smiles. through your eyes. Yeah. Like, he did that. Yeah. He would maybe be America's Next Top Model. I he don't know. 100%. I think it was funny. There's a scene where they're going to hook up. And Kat was like, oh, my God, is he hot? <laughs> like because he like takes off his shirt she's like oh my god he's so ripped and i was like yeah he's like a heartthrob for people like people genuinely are I like no in his pants and i also have never really felt that because i've also just kind of seen him as like kind of like this goofy funny guy yeah and i also in this film was like nah honestly well because well, in loki they're like they just make him all like he's goofy and, and stuff. goofy yeah but even in other stuff i feel like i've always just been like yeah it's you know it's Tom, whatever. But uh, in this, it was like, I think I totally would get it if I was like this recluse, hardened woman, and he swooned over here. Okay, if you would have been blonde lady, been, and you would have been all about him. I would have been messed up. I would have been so messed up. As soon as he was like, I read your book, I've been like, all right, let's go. How fast can I get on <laughs> you a plane or whatever it is? We get over to there. The you... boat, <laughs> take me with you. <laughs> I'm coming. Yeah. Um, 
And he just looks at you with those little puppy dog eyes. He'd be like, all right. Yeah, no, uh, I, I mean, the second he took his shirt off, I was like, what? <laughs> it does not look like that when clothes are there. I don't understand. Yeah. He had muscles. I was, yeah. it messed me up. Yeah, but there were some good twists in there, you know? Like when, I mean, we kind of knew he was probably already married um, and that there was women who were murdered there because she yeah. sees the ghosts, which were scary. Mm-hmm. They were like a little more subtle than his usual stuff. Because yeah. they're kind of there not. And they were, like, very dramatic. They yeah. were very silly, but I enjoyed them. Um, but, yeah, I did like the reveal of the, the baby. I won't spoil it. Um, there's a baby incident, incident, and I was like, what? Yeah, um, that, was, that was interesting, too. Yeah. But it was, like, yeah, it was, like, a nice little twist on the bluebeard. And yeah. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. Because uh, I love that. <laughs> I love old fairy tales. And so me and Guillermo are best friends. Um, it's not, yeah, I would say it's not like his best one, but it was still his. And yeah, it, was it was still cool. very, like very Guillermo and very good mm-hmm. in the way that like aesthetically you knew what you were getting. And it was a fun time. Yeah. I didn't regret it. I agree. So if we like it, it's America's Next Top Tom. Yeah, because he was really feeling with his eyes. Yeah, he could he was see the, those emotions. He was smizing. Yeah. Yeah, he was being very emotive and beautiful. I didn't realize I had a crush on Tom Hiddleston. Now I'm like every other fangirl. Here it is. Here it goes. <laughs> yep. It only takes one. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, and then if you don't like it, it's we need a seat at the pale man's table. Yeah, because we do. And that's like, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Guys, we need to see at the table. We need representation. The table, the, the pale man needs to be dethroned. He's got too much food. If we all are in there, like if we get a bunch of kids, you yeah. take his eyes before he can grab them. What's he gonna do? He's gonna. How about you mind. can't eat your eyes? I eat them before you get to them. Now who's who's owns the table? They're like all up right there though. His eyes. Also, we're eating eyeballs now. What I'm saying is, like, you go up, you get the eyeballs before that you eat see. anything. That he can see. But you grab them before he you you just eat anything. You just them in different directions and then eat. You draw a chalk door. You open it to some other place. You throw the eyes out. Close the chalk door. Eat all the food. What's he going to do? You bring weapons. We bring bats <laughs> with nails in them. <laughs> You bring chainsaws. You bring bonding equipment. You just mess them up, and we eat all the food. What I'm saying is we need a revolution. I'm saying that the time is now. Direct (laughs) action gets the goods. I'm saying we need to take to the streets. We all have chalk. Let's get in there, and we take them down. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a historical moment in history. (laughs) Yeah. And there will be no more. <laughs> I really love that. So so whenever you guys are ready, I'm ready to storm the offices of the Amazon headquarters to take all of Jeff Bezos' money. Because um, he doesn't need it. We all <laughs> so, got chalk, so. We all got chalk. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so what about the topic of Guillermo? 100% America's Next Top Tom. Yes. And then some. Yeah. And there, like, it's America's Next Talk Tom and Guillermo is the host. And he's like, I yeah. have two pictures in my hand. 
and then he picks Tom because he's like, I love you. Uh, <laughs> he's like, one is a horse and I hate it. The Paramount throws his eyes angrily. <laughs> uh, storms we out. We are rooting for you. It's wonderful. If you guys aren't getting those references, I'm sorry. We've been watching um, a lot of America's Next Top Model. It, it's a good reprieve from all the horror that we watch. Yeah. But yeah, I love Mindless Gamo. fun. Love him. He can do no wrong in my eyes. That's it. That's yeah, all I got. I'm with it. If anyone wants to introduce me to Guillermo so we can be best friends, I would probably like die. We have a long list of people that we want to meet and be he's best friends top, with, though. though. I know. He's definitely number one. But all I'm saying is we do Guillermo, have a list. please listen to this. If you're listening to this, just write me an email. It's thegoalsnextdoor at gmail.com and just say, like, thumbs up, thumbs down. I'll take that. Just the emoji. Listeners, we will also accept you've created an account. <laughs> you named this is the real Guillermo del Toro, and you email me a thumbs up. Yeah. I'd love it. Yeah. We won't ever know if it's real. It's fine. I heard Guillermo's on the market, so I'm just saying the Game. age isn't that big of a difference. You're not on the market, so <laughs> shut up. I'm just saying. Uh, he's just so lovable. You ever see his face? I just want to give him a hug. Face. I really just want to hug him. Like, so bad. I just feel like he'd be a nice hugger. Yeah. So if anyone knows... Let me know. Um, what about Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, America's Next Top Tom. And what about Crimson Peak? Yeah, I also enjoyed it. Yeah. America's Next Top <laughs> it Tom. It gave us America's Next Top Tom. So. Yeah, I just, I mean, as much as like, there was enough of a twist that I was like, oh. There was like some stuff that I yeah. predicted. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're, they're sleeping together. Yeah. I knew that. Oh, yeah. But um, it was still, it treated stuff really well. Yeah. It was with respect. Yeah. Any any immature director could have really messed up. Oh my that gosh! Up. Yes. And it was not. It was not that. Yeah. It was definitely done deliberately and with like, yeah, respect to the fact that stuff like that happens. Yeah. Um, and even like this, the scary parts were pretty decent. I was like, mm. -mm yeah, you didn't want to look right. at what was happening, <laughs> it which is was not okay. Mm hmm. It was good. Like it wasn't the most entertaining, but it was it was good. Yeah. Like it was America's Next Top Tom. So. Yeah. So we can't really, you know, knock it for that. Well, that was Guillermo. That's the start of our our horror directors. It is. And uh, I'll tell you this: it's all going to be interesting people. That is not going to be the same people we've heard about. We're not doing John Carpenter. Yeah. So if that's what you were coming here for, I'm sorry. We'll probably never do an episode on just John Carpenter. Yeah. We have talked about him. But I don't really want to do that. Yeah. So stay tuned. We have some really interesting people. So if you want to hear about something new um, or just like, what's that deal? Uh, tune in this whole month. It'll yeah, be fun. Yeah. Be friends. Yes. So don't get married. Let your kids. Okay, bye.